Hey there, Living the Dream podcast fans. It's your buddy Adam from Podcast Launch Tips. It's the podcast where I teach people how to correctly launch a successful podcast and get their message out to their ideal audience. You are listening to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, and it's time to bring out your host, my pod pal, Curtis Curveball Jackson. Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by special guest, Evan Thompson. Evan is a writer. He's an author as well as a baseball writer. He is a member of the Arizona Diamondbacks Press Corps. And the name of his book is called A Complete History of the Major League Baseball Playoffs. He is a senior editor at The Last Word on Baseball. So we're going to be talking to him about his book and what it's like to be in the press corps of a major league baseball team. Evan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, I've been a baseball fan since 1988 when I was eight years old. So I'm now 41. So the math on that is uh, 33 years. Arizona born and raised so when I started watching baseball the Diamondbacks weren't even thought of yet uh, so at the time I was a fan of Chicago Cubs my favorite player was Ryan Sandberg and uh, I spent a lot of time watching broadcasts with the great Harry Carey uh, got to soul and uh, Steve Stone who is now doing color commentary for the Chicago White Sox I decided I'd be a fan of the Cubs until we got our own team here. So in 1998, when the Diamondbacks were born, I switched my loyalties. Um, taught school for 12 years. I have a history degree, but uh, I wasn't really happy doing that. And then uh, in 2011, I got the idea to write this book and uh, I kept teaching. And then when I had to leave the classroom due to my health, I, uh, didn't really know what to do with myself for a while. And then I got somebody said, Hey, get back to work on your book. So I decided to do that. And then in 2018, I got to work really hard on it. Well, I got to back up there. 2016, I was looking for ways to interview people for the book. And I ended up in touch with Mark Langell, who is the team historian for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he said to me that, uh, players and managers and former players and managers typically won't do interviews with you unless you have a publisher. And I didn't have one. I said, okay, so I need to get a publisher. He said, hold on a minute. Uh, do you write for anybody? I said, no. He said, that's the other thing. If you're going to go to a publisher, they won't pick up the book unless people know you because they're only going to pick it up if they think people will buy it. And it could be the greatest book in the world, but if people don't know you, they're not going to buy the book. So he encouraged me to start a website. I did. It was called Thompson Talks. So I just wrote about various things in sports. And then at the beginning of 2019, I heard the last word on baseball was looking for writers. So I went ahead and applied and I'm thinking, okay, what the heck? And then three hours later, I got hired. And uh, 
two months after that, I got promoted to editor. Then two months after that, I got promoted to senior editor, which was the job of the guy who hired me. One month after that, they got me in the press box at a Diamondbacks game. And that's where I've been since. So tell us what the last word on baseball is. Kind of give us a description of it and what you do. Okay, it's, it's news and analysis of Major League Baseball. We try, because with, with news, a lot of times people, when there's news that comes out about baseball, they only look at ESPN or MajorLeagueBaseball.com or The Athletic or one of the local newspapers. So with news, unless we have somebody right on the scene or embedded with the team like me or uh, like Nate Miller, who's our correspondent for the Texas Rangers, we, we tend to uh, not write about it unless we can add analysis to it. But uh, one thing we are big on is analysis. Well, tell us about your book and, and tell us what readers can expect when they read it and why you decided to write it. All right. Well, back in 2011, on the last day of the regular season, September 28th, it was a Wednesday night. There were four games that ended within an hour of each other that determined the final two wildcard spots. That was the last year that each league had one wild card. Some strange things had to happen in order for certain scenarios to play out. Uh, the teams that held the lead at the time were uh, the Braves and the Cardinals were tied for the NL card. And so if both won, they'd have a one-game playoff. If one team won and the other lost, then the team that won would make it. Uh, in the American League, the Red Sox and the Rays were tied. So if uh, both teams won, there'd be a playoff. If both teams lost, there'd be a playoff. If one won and the other lost, then the winner would go on. Well, uh, the Cardinals had an easy game. Uh, they played a team. They played the Houston Astros that night. Uh, Astros were still in the National League at the time. And um, Astros had lost over 100 games that year, so the Cardinals were expected to win, and they did. The Braves were playing the Phillies. Phillies had already won the NL East. They'd won over 100 games. And the Braves held a lead going into the ninth, but uh, their closer, Craig Kimbrell, couldn't hang on. Phillies won in extra innings, so the Cardinals made it to the playoffs. Within an hour of that, uh, these games were going on at the same time. Uh, the Red Sox were playing the Baltimore Orioles, who were not having a good season. Red Sox held a lead going into the late innings. Down in Tampa, the Yankees were playing the Rays. The Yankees had already won the division. They were up 7-0 going into the bottom of the eighth. So they, you know, they pulled all their, their studs and put in the younger guys to finish out the game. Well, the Rays came back and won. At the same time, during a rain delay in Baltimore, when the Red Sox saw that the Rays had actually won the game, they went back out on the field in Baltimore and ended up blowing the game. So the Rays made the playoffs. Well, after this all ended, I was like, okay, I have two really good books on the World Series, the history of the World Series. I want one on the playoffs. So I went to Amazon to order one. There weren't any. Uh, Beverly Cleary said something that was later echoed by, I believe, Maya Angelou. It might have been Toni Morrison. But anyway, Beverly Cleary, who wrote all the Ramona books uh, and who was herself a librarian, said, if the book you want to read is not on the shelf, you must write it. So who am I to argue with Beverly Cleary, right? <laughs> but anyway, so I got, got this idea. I was going to do a game-by-game -game history of the playoffs. So I decided to do uh, the League Championship Series. That started in 1969 when the National League and American League split to divisions. And I also decided that because there were 
tiebreaker playoffs, there were five of them before we split the divisions in 69, that uh, I would include those as well. So I got to work on that. What readers can find are a game-by-game -game account of what happened in every one of these series. You'll find uh, statistics for the season for each team involved in games in this book. You will find statistics for the series that they are playing in. And you will find a brief summary of each season's pennant race, how they got to where they were. I tell my stories. Uh, it's set up functionally like an encyclopedia, but I'm, I'm writing it as if it's a storybook. And I do have footnotes with sidebars and funny stories I heard about it or any other comments that I've added as well. Well, you talked about the challenges of needing to get a editor and be writing for somebody, but what other challenges did you face in trying to write the book? Well, with this one, because this is volume one, which goes from the first tiebreaker that was in 1946 until 1976 with the early ones, all those that happened prior to the 60s. So that would be the 46 National League 1948 single game American League playoff then the 1951 and 1959 National League playoffs. A lot of the people involved in those games are dead. So what I had to do for those um, was find newspaper accounts. Fortunately, um, those were far enough back that um, the newspapers gave very detailed accounts. Uh, a lot of these games were either not on television or if they were on television a lot, their television wasn't widespread enough. There weren't enough TV sets and homes for people to really be guaranteed to watch the game. So the newspapers gave detailed accounts for what happened on each batter. And uh, they had some nice quotes. So the challenge there was finding the right newspaper um, for that one. Uh, then when there were people who were alive for the games, the challenge I faced was the fact that I haven't been in the industry very long. So my name isn't really well known. So somebody like my good friend, Barry Bloom, who has covered baseball since the seventies, he could get an interview with just about anybody because they all know him. But for me, a little different. Um, the first person I got an interview with is someone whose account actually won't show up until volume two, which is what I'm working on right now. So that was a challenge there. Some of the other challenges were the fact that a lot of these games just don't have film. We don't have surviving film of a complete game of anything that was in this book until game one in 1973 between the Reds and the Mets in the National League. There are some radio accounts, but uh, film accounts, there, there really aren't any available because back then they had to be stored on reel-to-reel -reel tapes and they were so large that these uh, television companies um, would either tape over them or get rid of them because they were so hard to store. So talk about some of the interesting games that you didn't know about, but you discovered while writing the book. Okay, well, uh, one that was really nice that started immediately, the very first game in this book is game one of the 1946 National League tiebreaker between the St. Louis Cardinals and the then Brooklyn Dodgers. That game was at Sportsman's Park in St. Louis, and there was a young catcher for the Cardinals who had three hits in that game. He was a rookie named Joe Garagiola. Um, Joe Garagiola later became very famous as an announcer. He was a a color commentator for NBC's broadcast for the game of the week and for the playoffs and for the world series for decades. 
And Joe's son, Joe Garagiola Jr., was the first general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he's now a special advisor. Through my coverage of games there, I've got to know Joe Jr., and we've become very good friends, so that was fun, uh, knowing that his dad had three hits in the very first game in there. Another game that was really fun to learn about was the 1948 American League tiebreaker between the Boston Red Sox and Cleveland Indians. American League only did one game for a playoff. National League did best two out of three. Well, the Indians had a shortstop that year named Lou Boudreau, who was also their manager. He had been their player manager since 1942 at the age of 24. So he ended up being the American League MVP in 1948 because he had such a crazy good season. Hit well over 300, struck out only nine times the whole year in over 600 at-bats. He struck out nine times. There are guys who do that in a week. Anyway, he he um, had a great game in this 48 tiebreaker, went four for four and had a walk. So that was fun to learn about. Uh, I had a lot of fun learning about what I call the best game you haven't heard of. This was the second game of a two-game sweep in 1959. The Los Angeles Dodgers were playing the Milwaukee Braves. And uh, the Braves had won the last two National League pennants and had four Hall of Famers on their team. They had Hank Aaron, they had Eddie Matthews, they had Warren Spine, uh, five Hall of Famers, correction. Then they also had uh, Red Shandienst, who was about to retire. He was a reserve infielder for them, uh, made more famous with the Cardinals. And then uh, they had Eno Slaughter, who was also on the 46 Cardinals, and he, he was in his last year as well. And anyway, this game ended up going extra innings, and the Dodgers won on a play that was influenced by a pebble. What had happened was um, in the bottom of the ninth, they tied the game on a sacrifice fly by a guy named Carl Ferrillo who was the only player left who was on their 1946 team and the 1951 team. The 51 team lost famously to the Giants on the shot heard around the world by Bobby Thompson. So anyway, Ferrello tied the game with a sack fly. And then in the uh, extra innings, uh, Gil Hodges was on second for a play Carl Ferrello was batting on, and he hit a ground ball at the middle. It was fielded by the Braves, a fellow named uh, Felix Meon. He made the throw to first. It was a late throw, and it was in the dirt, but the first baseman, Frank Torrey, said he would have scooped it. But what ended up happening was it hit a pebble, skied over Torrey's shoulder, hit the first base coach in the shoulder, and went to the grandstand. So Gil Hodges came around to score the winning run. Well, talk about some of the more advanced statistics that you believe that traditional fans should be paying more attention to. Well, the first thing we have to know with statistics is uh, my dad, before he passed away, um, got a PhD in statistics. And one thing he told me about stats is you cannot use a statistic for something other than what it was intended for. If you do that, you invalidate the statistic. Well, some people have looked at things like batting average or slugging percentage and tried to make them say more than they really were intended to do. All batting average does is tell you Basically, since they rounded to three decimal places, if this guy were to bat a thousand times, how many base hits would he have? It's not telling you what type of base hit, it's just telling you how many hits. And then slugging percentage, uh, same thing, thousand at bats, how many total bases would he have? Well, Major League Baseball statistics have gone in a certain direction where there are a lot of advanced stats, but some are just noise. Some answer questions that are just one of those fun things at trivia games, but they really don't tell you that much about who the better player is. 
But one that shows up on TV that a lot of people are using is something called OPS, which is on base plus slugging percentage. It takes your on base percentage and your slugging percentage and just adds them together. Well, what that does is it overvalues sluggers and home run hitters. It doesn't give the proper due to guys who hit a lot of doubles, but didn't quite get it out of the ballpark. So there's a statistic called weighted on base average. We abbreviate it with WOBA. And what that does is it takes the four types of hits as well as walks and getting hit by a pitch. And it figures out during that season, how many runs each one was worth. They took, they use linear regression. I won't get into the math of it, but they basically figure out for every single that a batter gets, how many runs does it end up being worth either by that player later scoring or by driving in a run on average for the year. So using that, it gives you a better idea as to how many runs this player was really worth by driving them in or by reaching base. What they do with that at the very end is multiply it by a constant that makes it where the league average for on-base percentage and for, on, uh, for WOBA are the same. So you can just read it like an on-base average. Another one that's a good advanced stat to use is called ERA minus. And what that does is it takes a pitcher's earned run average and compares it with the league average. A lot of times we look at an ERA, but we don't have full context for it. And numbers don't mean anything without context. So if you take a pitcher's ERA, but it's and, and it's low, but everybody's ERA was low, then it changes the meaning. So what they do is they take your ERA, multiply it by your part constant so you can adjust it for where you pitch, and then divide it by the league average ERA. That way you can look at it and say, okay, this guy's ERA minus was 80. So that means that his ERA was 80% of what the league ERA was, or it could mean that he was 20 percentage points better. That gives you better indication of how well a pitcher pitched. So uh, uh, the record for that, by the way, is Pedro Martinez. He had 35. His ERA minus was 35 in 2000. So um, anyway, that, that's a good one too. Another one is total zone runs above average. That's for fielding. Uh, that takes into account your range and not just how many errors you made on balls you got to. So that can give you a better idea of who the better defender is. Tell us about what it's like to cover the Arizona Diamondbacks and give us some interesting stories while covering All right, the Diamondbacks. Well, I'll, I'll be glad to. So uh, living here in Arizona and being a fan of the Diamondbacks, it was a real dream to end up being on their press corps. Uh, 2019, I got in the press box on daily credentials. And then in 2020, I got a season-long pass. And I got another one in 2021, although COVID made covering games uh, to where I had to do it remotely because of all the restrictions they put in. But anyway, the very first game I covered was June 24th, 2019. It was the Diamondbacks versus the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Zach Granke pitching for the Diamondbacks, Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers, two guys that are probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Um, it was easy to feel overwhelmed because I was surrounded by these people that had done it forever. I'm standing there looking around, just trying to figure out where everything is. So that was intimidating at first, but there were some people I had met through my membership with Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research, and they were covering that game as well. So they, they told me some things about where to go. But when I got there, there was a pregame press conference with Diamondbacks manager Tori Lovello. So I went down there into the press conference room, and in he walked, and I just thought, oh boy, I'm really in the big time now. There's cameras, there's microphones, uh, and here I am. So I just observed people asking him questions and him answering them. 
and thought, okay, uh, I'm gonna have to learn on the fly here. So I observed what types of questions they ask, how they ask them, how relaxed they are and all that. And then I went to cover the game. I got a scorecard, was just keeping score pitch by pitch, wrote about the game when it was over, post game went in, did the interview, uh, wrote down the quotes I liked and wanted to use and then put those in. And all that time, my head was just spinning. <laughs> I was partly thinking, wow, I really did it. And partly thinking, am I really surrounded by these people that I've seen on TV for years? Wow, they're real people. They're just normal people like me. You know, I'm eating dinner with, uh, in that dining room and in walks a guy named Mark Grace. Mark Grace was the first baseman on the Cubs when I first started watching. Now he's a TV host for the Diamondbacks. And he started talking to me. And so we talked about some things. That was really fun. Covering there, at first, it's easy to be overwhelmed because so much is going on around you. But once you know what to expect, it's not as bad. There are still times where you're just thinking, my gosh, I'm on live TV and I just covered this huge event that's going to be written about or that's going to be talked about years from now. And I helped write about it. So that that was a really cool feeling. But there, there are other things about it, too. The big, the big thing you realize is these ballplayers, they're not Greek gods. They're normal guys. They like video games. They like to know what restaurants to go get sandwiches at. They like they like all that stuff. They're just normal guys who happen to play baseball extremely well. We're talking freakishly well because people are paying them millions of dollars to do it. But keeping in mind that they're normal guys is a good thing. Uh, it also helps you build a rapport with them. The other parts about being on the press corps that you don't think about is I had one fan say to me, man, it must be nice not having to pay a ticket to buy a ticket for a game i said yeah but i get to the game three hours before you do and i leave three hours after you do the whole stadium is dark and i'm driving home after midnight on an empty freeway so i mean it's hard work that's a lot of things some people don't think about and the other thing is if a big story happens i have to stop everything i'm doing and then hit the press conference and then write about it there's so you're on call all the time. So there's that part too. And then there's also the whole thing of when you post your stories, people think they know more than you and get kicks out of quote, telling off someone who's a pro. Um, there's that type of harassment, but that doesn't happen all that often. And you learn how to ignore it. Give out your contact information, where can people purchase your book and follow your writings and tell us about your website and any social media links so people can connect with you. Uh, okay. I'd Appreciate that. Uh, first thing is uh, you can get me by email at Evan. Just put Evan, E-V-A-N, at thompsontalks.com. That's an easy way to get me. The website I write for is Last Word on Baseball. If you put in lastwordonbaseball.com, it'll take you to our homepage. There's a search button in the upper right corner, so you can, you can search for anything. My name there. The easier way is probably to just, uh, in the drop-down menu, pick NL West, Arizona Diamondbacks, and I've written almost everything that we have on there about them. So you can go there and just read my articles uh, that way. Um, then when you read one of them, if you click on my name, it brings you to all the articles I've written. There's also my personal site, thompsontalks.com. If you go there, I post links to every article I write for the last World on Baseball. Um, you can put in your email address as a subscription there. And then every time a new article goes up, you'll get an email. As far as where to buy the book, you can go to store.bookbaby.com and get it from there. Um, it's also available per, for pre-order on Amazon. Um, it'll be available starting this weekend. 
if you do buy it on book baby i do ask that you go to my page on amazon and just look at the book because if you do that it'll um it'll uh entice them to order more for their warehouses to have it in stock i think that's it oh i have a you can also uh follow me on twitter at lwos evan t evan and then the letter t you can do that um, you can uh I have a professional page on Facebook as well. You have any, just, yeah, any, upcoming, any upcoming projects that people need to know about that you're working on? Well, I'm working on volume two right now. That'll take us to 1984. A lot of fun games in there. Um, you'll have the uh, back-to-back World Series titles of the Yankees in the late 70s. Uh, you'll have the Dodgers with their back-to-back pennants there. You'll get the Pirates last pennant and last world series that's 1979 1980 was the first time the phillies won it so you have that 1981 was the year of the strike so we had the extra playoff round um that ended up being the last dodger yankee world series we've ever had uh it was also the only playoff appearance for the montreal expos we had the cardinals winning it in 82 and the orioles winning it for the last time to date in 83 and then you had the tigers winning in 84 with the padres pennant a lot of memorable games in there uh, so they can look forward to, to seeing those. And I'll actually have some interviews for this one, including Rick Monday, who hit a famous home run in 1981. Final question to close it out. Talk about player evaluation, you know, hitters, pitchers, relief pitchers. Give us some insight on that. Okay. Uh, well, with hitters, a lot of times uh, you don't want to overvalue home runs because there are days where the ball just doesn't carry you want to find guys that, that produce runs either uh, or by getting hits or getting on base. So best way I found to look at players is, is Wobo, which I mentioned earlier, weighted on base average. But there's a spinoff of that called weighted runs above average. So what that looks at is if you had this guy batting for the whole season instead of the average hitter in the league that year, how many more runs would you score? So uh, last year, I believe the leader was in the 40s. Uh, Babe Ruth during his prime was over 100, <laughs> to give you a comparison there. For pitchers, uh, I like using ERA minus because the pitcher's job is, number one, does he keep runs off the board? Number two, does he keep guys off base? And number three, does he have control? So the best way to look at keeping runs off the board is ERA minus because it compares them with the league average. The best way to look at does he keep guys off base is WHIP, which stands for walks and hits plus – or excuse me, let me try that again, walks and hits per inning pitched. So uh, if you look at that, average is usually around 1.3, and they, they carry it to three decimal places. If he's in the 1.2s, then uh, that's an all-star year. If he's down near 1.0, you'll make the Hall of Fame. Uh, so uh, Some of the league leaders uh, occasionally get below one, which is just insane. And then I also look at, for control, I look at strikeout percentage minus walk percentage. So that shows you what the difference is percentage point-wise. Like For example, if he has, if his strikeout rate is 36% and his walk rate is 4%, then his K minus walk percentage is going to be 32%, which is really good. That'll show you control. Relief pitchers, ERA can be deceptive because one bad inning can completely destroy your ERA. The reason being is they take your own runs, multiply it by nine, then divide it by innings pitch. Well, relievers usually pitch one inning at a time. So if you give up a three-run home run, you're going to be wearing that three-run home run for about a month. 
So what I look there at there is um, I look at the percentage of outings they had that were scoreless. That gives you a better better look most of the time. There's another stat they have for relievers called goose eggs. It was invented by Nate Silver of 538.com, and that looks at how well you uh, do in clutch late inning situations. So if the score is two run, if you have a two run lead, a one run lead, or it's a tie game, if you're in the seventh inning or later, did you piss, pitch a scoreless inning? If you did, you get a goose egg. If you didn't, you get a broken egg. I look at those. Those are great because the save has been overvalued and people can get saves for weird things that really don't have a huge effect on the outcome of the game. Ladies and gentlemen, thompsontalks.com all you baseball fans go pick up the book also be sure to follow rate review share this episode to as many people as possible after listening and android listeners go to the google play store and download the living the dream with curveball podcast app evan thank you so much for joining me and good luck for the diamondbacks coming up this season thank you curtis it was my pleasure For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. Dream.